0: We're in this series, um, Heaven and Hell. We're at the end now. We spent the first two weeks talking about heaven and it's wonderful and exciting and you're anticipating what it will be like and you're, we're, you know, we're, we're looking at how, uh, how John describes his vision of this new Jerusalem and, and what it looks like and, and it's great. And then we get to hell and it's, oh man. It's, I mean, it's the complete opposite where you're going, this is heavy and I don't wanna think about this. And, and last week, uh, last week we started on part one of hell, and we looked at specifically um, what Jesus says about hell, which is a lot. Actually, he talks a lot about this place. We looked at the different words and uh, the what the, the Hebrew and Greek words for hell. That and that the actual word for hell is Gehenna, and it's really an illust- more of an illustration than a than a title of a place, but we call it hell. And um, and we looked at specifically this story that Jesus shares about Lazarus and a rich man and what happens. And so. Um, this is the follow-up to that in that um, we're, we're now gonna look at descriptions about this place called Gehenna or hell. And um, and so before we do, let me talk about first Wednesday. First Wednesday is, is uh, we love first Wednesday. It's exciting and and it's a blast and it's something totally different. We are meeting around tables and we have meal together and then we do a talk on a topic and we go really deep and you get notes. It's like a it's like a college course, almost like a lecture setting. Setting and then and then we have some Q and A and you talk around your tables and then and then we do I'll do Q and A with whatever comes up and. You know, we get some questions, and it's uh, you guys are asked some very interesting things, <laughs> and and it's a blast. And so, if you haven't ever been, uh, I would love for you to come this Wednesday um, just to see what it's like. We're we're going to be talking. We're going to continue the theme of hell, and we'll be looking at at hell um, not not specifically um, as what the Bible says like describes it, but but rather we're going to look at it theologically and see. Throughout the history of the church, there's generally been four kind of theological understandings or positions or perspectives of hell that have kind of risen to the top. And they're all different and they can't all be true at the same time. And so we'll look at at historically the doctrine of hell, what it has looked like, how it's changed, and and then you'll get to decide for yourself which is the most convincing of, of the, like what the Bible says, which is most accurate. Um and and the th- here's the thing. When we talk about hell, so um, there's a few things. First, uh, whatever your understanding of hell is, it's not good. It's not, it's not great. Nobody wins when we talk about hell and we're like, oh, well, I got the doctrine right. Yes, and it's terrible. And it's a terrible doctrine. Okay, that's number one. Number two, this topic, maybe more than others, some of us, we come with baggage. Here's what I mean by that. Um, uh, in the church the church as a whole. We are really good. We are really good at being judgmental. Man, we're good at it. It's a spiritual gift of ours. We're great. And, and you may have felt this. And here's what happens, especially in like hyper-legalistic churches, they'll use hell as a means to get you to comply and behave how they want you to, whatever that is. And, and so they'll say, well, if you do this, you will go to hell. If you do that, these people go to hell. So you have to stay in line with our church, our doctrine, our pastor, our whatever. Okay. So some of us have that. So when you, even when we think about you, hear the word hell, it's like, ooh, all right. How are you going to use this? Is this going to be used as a weapon against me? Because it has been in the past. So let me say two things. I, I want to apologize on behalf of, of all of anyone who's ever used it against you. Because that's wrong. It's terrible. It's manipulative. It's it's spiritual abuse. So, for what it's worth, I'm sorry that that people have used and abused the Bible against you. That's number 1. Number 2, we're not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says and we're going to read it together. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to think about what that means. And then each of us decides what we do. Each of us decides. This is, this is me saying, let's just open this up. Let's see what Jesus says. Let's see what Peter says. Let's see what Paul says. Let's see what John says about this place. And then let's let that sit. So, so this morning is, you know, um, I said this after the last service, it's, uh, I'll get this out now. It's hard to tell a joke when you're preaching about hell. <laughs> Nobody laughs. laughs. So that was probably the most amount of laughter I'm getting this morning. All right, so we got that out. Now, when we, t- when we think about and talk about hell, it is uncomfortable because because of what it means and the implications. If you are here with us last week, um, or if you missed it, you can certainly go online and catch up and, and, and watch all of the sermons. Um, we said that hell is a real place for real people, and it's terrible. And we looked at this, that it's not a concept or a, like some sort of, you know, we talk about an emotional state or some sort of, We, we sometimes we describe our circumstances as, oh, this is a living hell. Okay, well, we, we say that, but, but according to Jesus, this is a real place, an actual place that actual people go to, and it's terrible. This morning, it's probably going to get worse because we're going to, we're going to look at the three ways that the, that the Bible describes hell, three aspects or descriptions about hell. And they're terrible. And each one seems to get maybe progressively worse. And the, the first one is already terrible. So here we go. The first description or aspect of hell is this. Hell is described as a place of punishment. The the predominant description of hell in the New Testament is one of punishment. And in fact, um, hell as punishment is described by all the New Testament writers. They all mention hell specifically, or at least punishment, as like the wrath of God coming, and, it, and it's because of punishment. Now, one of the things that that we have going against us when we think about and talk about hell, and we talked about this last week as well, is that is that sort of the cultural like understanding, and even maybe it's creeped into some of our understanding, the cultural understanding and topic of hell has been informed not by the scriptures but by popular either tv shows or movies or cartoons or whatever people so so usually people will depict the devil as like this red thing with horns and a tail and a pitchfork and he's like poking people or he's like hey welcome welcome to my place right like it's gonna be hot and you're like oh there's comics and newspapers and stuff and it's it's almost just the throwaway as a joke like oh the the hell is just the devil's playground and it's where you go like if you want to really have fun and party you go to hell that's where all the people who party go so like that like all like all the cool people are going there and that's this idea now as we as we look at the descriptions of hell all of that is wrong hell is not a place that like the devil created and he tries to get people to come to by by doing certain things like I'm gonna get them to come to my place God has his place and I have my place When we talk about and look at the descriptions of hell, it's not that. It is not at all sort of the cultural understanding of what hell is. And the first thing is hell is described as as punishment. Jesus talks about this. He talks about how God will make a judgment on all of us. And the righteous go to eternal life. but, But the wicked, he says, go to eternal punishment. Here's what he says in Matthew 25. We looked at these verses last week as well, but but they fit here. So here they are again. Jesus says this, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into, here it is, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So the first thing we see about this place called hell, this place Gehenna, is that it, it was a place that God made for the devil and the angels as like a prison, not a playground, not a place where you just get to enjoy life outside of God's presence, that, that this is the place where he says, all right, this is where I'm sending all of these angels who sinned and fell and were disobedient and caused others to do the same. This is, their, this is where they go. That it's punishment for them. And then it says this, people will go to the this, this same place that God made for the angels and the, and the devil, that people will also find their way there. In verse 46, then they will go away to what what Jesus calls eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus gives this distinction between both are eternal and one is life and one is what he calls punishment, eternal punishment in this place, this Gehenna. We see in in 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes about this place as well. and, um, and, And he writes it, he writes it as an encouragement to believers who are experiencing persecution and intense persecution. It, the, um, the letter of 1 Thessalonians and then 2 Thessalonians, um, these are some of the first letters Paul ever wrote. And so they're, naturally they're shorter, but, but they're also to people who are being persecuted and experiencing like, real hardship who are, who are being killed for their faith. They're losing family members for their faith, and then he writes this as an encouragement to say, all right, let me encourage you because you're seeing your brothers and sisters and parents and children, they're all being killed for their faith. All right, let's talk about this. So he gives this description of, of this place um, and, and specifically the, what will happen for those who want justice now. Like all of us, we are we have a a strong reaction to injustice and we want justice and we want things, we want wrong things to be made right. And so Paul says, all right, God is just, but his timing isn't your timing. And so just because it looks like nothing is happening, listen, justice is coming. Here's what he says in 2 Thessalonians uh, Thessalonians chapter one. So he starts out his letter and he says this, "All, all of this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And then he says this, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Another translation, your translation may say, he will afflict those who afflict you and give you relief to you who are troubled or afflicted and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So, So he's now saying, all right, listen, God is just and he will repay people who are mistreating, afflicting you, causing you trouble, like persecuting you. Listen, justice is coming and this is going to happen at the end when Jesus comes back. So it may take a while, it may take a while, but justice is coming. And then he says in verse eight, now he's going to give a description of this justice, of this punishment, and he's going to give... All three descriptions of hell that we're going to go over this morning, he lays out in this passage right here. So we'll reference this a few times. He will punish those who do not know God and do not, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. He starts with punishment. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be a marvel at, at to mar, to be marvelled at, at by among those who have believed, this includes you, he says, because you believed our testimony to you. Paul brings comfort by saying they're going to be the justice is coming, and then here's what he says: that this justice is from a just judge who applies the appropriate. Retribution and punishment to unbelievers. This when we talk about like what hell is and the description of it, it's 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 always, it's always jarring. Because of the seriousness of it, because of 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 the terribleness of it. He talks about it being punished. Punishment with everlasting destruction and being shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. And then we see John describe this place called hell, Gehenna, as well. And, and, how, and how he has this vision. God gives him this vision, this revelation, hence the book Revelation. And, and in this revelation, he gets a vision of this place and he writes it down. And he's going to tell us that, that hell is, is just punishment in this final judgment that he writes at the end of Revelation. And, and the wicked are cast into hell and the righteous experience this glorious presence of God on this new earth, new heavens and new earth. And we looked at that in week one and two of this series and now we're in the, in the, the bad news, right? The, the bad part of this, the, oh no. As great as heaven is and we looked at the specifics and how it's described and it's what we're looking forward to and anticipate. And if you missed that, Please go rewatch those because it's 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 the it's the excitement and encouragement to this this is this is alarming and 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 um, certainly discomforting. And John gets this vision of both of these places, and here's what he says now specifically about this this place Gehenna. Revelation chapter twenty. Verse 10, it says this, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. We read that and we say, okay, that's the good news. The devil's the bad guy. The, the beast and the false prophet are bad guys. They're thrown into this, what's called the lake of fire and brimstone and they're tormented day and night. All right, ooh. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The, heaven and the, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. Here's what he's saying. No one can escape this great white throne. Everyone, everyone has to appear before it. He goes on. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. He says, I see uh, like every like everyone, all of the dead were great and small. Everyone shows up before this throne and there's books. And they're open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the uh, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades, the grave, gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. All right. This is a, a scary scene. You can imagine John seeing this in and taking it all in, but also being terrified. So here's here's what's happening. There's a great white throne and there's a judge on this throne and everyone who's ever lived shows up and appears before this throne. The the, the dead, all of the dead from everywhere are, are, uh, are resurrected, raised up and appear before this throne and they're judged. And they're judged according to what was written in the books. According, what he says, to what they had done. Here's what seems to be the case. As we read the Bible and we read through John's vision and things that Jesus says, everything that you ever do seems to be written down somewhere. In a, in a book, maybe a few books, in heaven. Everything you do, probably both, both the bad and the good, are written down and you're judged according to what's in the book. So you get You get to heaven, you stand before the judge and he says, all right, let's open up the book. Let's look at your life, right? And and some theologians call this a life review or people have described this as a life review where where your entire life is gonna be opened up and revealed and, and shared back with you. It's probably gonna be the most terrifying experience that you and I will ever go through when all the things that we don't want anyone to know about or to remember are brought up again in front of us. And we're judged according to what's in that book. And then there's another book. And this book, he calls, he says, is the book of life. In other places, it's called the Lamb's book of life. This book is different, right? The book of your life is probably, I mean, how much? A lot, right? You got a big, all this stuff. This book only has names. And here's what you want, ready? All you want in life all that matters in your existence, the only thing that truly matters about you is that your name is in that smaller book. That's all you care about. That's all that matters. This book, your career, your job, your income, your house, your, your cars, your, your, none of, all of it, all of it doesn't matter. What, what matters is what's in this book, that your name's in this book. John continues. He says this, then I saw this. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The same lake of fire that he describes earlier, death itself is thrown in. Hades, the grave are all thrown in Their Death is done away with. And he calls the lake of fire the second death. We'll look at what that means here in a second, what the second death is. But this lake of fire is the second death and it's future, it's it's still coming. And then we see this, verse 15. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The same lake of fire that's reserved for the devil and the beast and the prophet and then death, destroy, all of the, this same lake of fire is where people go whose names aren't in this book. They open up the book, they go through. What'd you say your name was again? That's no, it's, it's Blumberg, Brandon. Um, I'm seeing some Blumbergs here. Please look harder. <laughs> Uh, oh here it is oh no 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 that's that's Brendan how do you spell it again oh that's close enough I spell it with an E (laughs) and when you see your name and they say oh oh yeah your name's in welcome congratulations I'm telling you nothing else matters nothing else in your life matters until when they go through and oh, here you are. You're in. You're in the book. The worst experience, the worst moment that you could possibly experience is, oh man, I'm I'm sorry. I don't see your name. Can you check again? Maybe it's wrong. I, I promise you, this book's not wrong. If your name's not here, it's not here. The only thing that matters in life at that moment is My name's not in the book of life. This place called Gehenna, this place called hell is a place of of punishment that that real people, it's a real place that real people go to. And here's what we see about this this place as we describe this punishment. First, this punishment is deserved and therefore just. It's based on what you do. It's not some arbitrary de- decision that someone makes. It's not, no one on earth gets to decide what happens to you. That's between you and, lo- and the Lord. And, and, and it's, it's based on what you do. It's based on your life, not someone else's. Not what you wished your life would have been. It's based on what you do. This punishment is deserved and is therefore just. Number two, this punishment consists of Suffering. What seems to be consistent in the experience of hell is that this punishment involves suffering. We looked at this last week when Jesus tells the story of a rich man Lazarus and Lazarus and this rich man is thrown into, into Hades, into hell. And, and it says I, he says, I'm in agony in this place, in these flames. Number three, these descriptions seem to make it the, the best to conclude that this punishment is conscious. That you're aware. You know what's going on. You can speak and talk and think and make decisions. You're aware of what's going on. And, and number four, and this is the hard one, this punishment seems to be eternal. It's described as this fire is eternal. Jesus describes it as eternal punishment, or everlasting punishment. When we talk about this, the, the thing that makes it so jarring is that, oh, this is permanent this is a permanent place. So hell is described as punishment. Hell is also described as a place of destruction. It's described not as, as, um, uh, as just simply a place where, uh, where things will be a little bit more difficult, where um, you might not have as many joys as you do on earth. It's described as, as utter ruin, And loss and waste. The theme of destruction occurs all throughout the New Testament by most of the New Testament writers. It's a central role in the in the scriptures. And and Jesus, Jesus talks about it, and and so does John, so did Paul, we saw earlier. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to, here it is, destruction. That that this experience is described as utter destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Paul earlier, if you remember this, he said that they will be punished with, and he describes this as everlasting destruction. We see in Revelation that death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire and the lake of fire is the, what's called the second death. A chapter later, John is also writing about this, this second death, and here's what he says. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they all will be consigned, sent to the lake, the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and then he describes this as this is the second death. This destruction is somehow also correlated to death, and it's a, a death of a different kind. Not necessarily just a physical death where you and I will all go through and experience, but now we're talking about on a soul level, that that there's a destruction that is an utter ruin and loss and waste of life. It's a graphic picture that those who have failed to understand the meaning and purpose of life and wasted it, they tried to find life in themselves and in their sin, and in doing so, they forfeited true life and only ruin remains. Hell is described as punishment. Hell is described as a place of destruction. And then the, this is the worst one. Hell is described as a place of banishment. Now when we talk about hell and you in the churches or just the evangelical circle, and, and maybe you've had a, this answer to when someone asks what is, what is hell like, the, the natural response, the usual response is this. Hell is separation from God. And, 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 and that's probably the, the most common response that, that Christians who have thought about and read about hell will give, is that hell is separation from God. And that is true, but it's actually not enough. It's worse. Separation implies that, that well, we're just not with each other anymore. Banishment is much more biblical, and banishment is this. It's not separation. It's you've actually been removed. You've been tossed out. you It's not that you and I aren't going to be together. It's I don't want you to be here. Oh, this was a decision to cast me out. Oh, in fact, this decision is probably is probably more painful than whatever experience of hell will be. Knowing I could have been in. I could have been with everyone else. But instead I was banished. Oh. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 8. He's giving, again, he speaks in stories and parables all the time and he, and he says this, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside. Those, the bad subjects. Will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, verse 41, he says this. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He starts by saying, you have to leave. You who are cursed, you have to go to this other place. And I... I'm removing you. I'm banishing you. And then we see in Matthew 7, and this is, this is for me probably, uh, not even probably, this is, these are the scariest verses I think in the Bible. There's a lot of scary things. There's a lot of crazy things. There's a lot of things that make you go, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's intense. This is, I think the scariest, not because of what it describes, not because of how it describes hell, but because of who it describes, Here's what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he says this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Didn't we do this? I see that list. And I see people who are doing ministry and, and intense ministry. In the name of Jesus. And look what he says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. And the response that he gives is, away from me, you evildoers. You have to leave. Because I didn't know you. You did all of this stuff in my name and you thought you were doing it for me and I don't need or want any of it. I want you and, and you thought that you doing all of these things would somehow earn your way in you tried to you tried to earn your ticket you tried to earn forgiveness and favor i don't i didn't come to die so that you could earn it i came so that i could know you i've uh, a number of weeks ago, I met with someone who's not a Christian, not a believer, and, and, but wanted to meet and chat. And, great, wonderful. And one of the things we talked about was the difference between what most people think about with Christianity is, uh, it, as a religion. And we talked about the difference between a religion and what the Bible talks about, which is relationship. That religion can actually kill Religion, is, religion can be terrible. Religion can ruin you. Religion is this. In the name of the Lord, we're going to prophesy and cast out demons, perform miracles and all this stuff. We're going to put on a show. We're going to do that. That is religion. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on, hold on. But I didn't know you. What I want is a relationship. I don't need all of the performance. And for those who he doesn't know, he says, I never knew you. Away from me banishment a level of torture that is different than what we can ever imagine where Jesus himself says I'm sorry I didn't know you you have to leave what but why because you didn't take any of this seriously Kendall Harmon a a theologian who writes about hell he, he, he suggests three aspects of hell associated with banishment here's what he says Hell is being cut off from Christ and the kingdom of God, causing a spiritual agony of exclusion from God's presence. That, that there's a, a spiritual component that's agonizing because I'm not allowed to be in his presence. And that is its own form of, of torture. Number two, he says, hell is God's judgment in completely giving over the sinner to himself. All right, if this is what you want, you can have it. If you're going to live a life of selfishness and sinfulness, you can have it for eternity. Tim Keller, um, who recently passed with the late Tim Keller, who's one of my, uh, I, one of my guy, favorite guys to read, he talks about hell as this, as, this da- as this forever downward, inward spiral of becoming more and more selfish, more and more self-focused more and more sinful, more and more of seeking yourself above others. And, 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 and that spiral continuing forever will create and is a hellish experience, a forever pursuit of yourself. And God says, if that's what you want, you can have it. If you don't want me and you want you, you can have you forever. Number three, he says, hell is not being known by God where you say, God, God, and he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Augustine, the, one of the greatest theologians and probably maybe the, one of the most influential theologians who's ever lived, um, he says this about when addressing the banishment of the wicked into hell, he says this, to be lost out of the kingdom, to be an exile, an exile from the city of God, to, to be alienated from the life of God to have no share in that great goodness which God has laid up for them that fear him has wrought out for them that trust in him uh, would be a punishment so great that supposing to be eternal no torments that we know of continued through as many ages as man's imagination can conceive could be compared with it. Here's what he says. Ready? Whatever whatever torment we can think of for as long as we can possibly imagine it, he says, what's worse is knowing you're not in the kingdom, that you aren't a part of, of what God, of the blessings of God, that you are in exile, you're, you're, an, you're alienated from the life of God. Knowing that fact is worse than anything else we can come up with. Ooh. Whereas, Punishment stresses the active side of hell. Banishment shows the horror of hell by by doing this, ready? By highlighting what a person misses out on. It's knowing everyone else is experiencing the goodness of God over there and I'm not allowed in. I have to go over here. The torture of that is is far more than separation because it's, it's a decision based on what I've done. Banishment stresses the dreadfulness and the finality of this whole thing. Here's what we see. Hell is punishment. Hell is destruction. And hell is described as banishment. Now, this is a terrible, a terrible situation we find ourselves in. Because this is also what the Bible says. Every single one of us deserves this place. We deserve justice for our sins that we've committed against a just and righteous God. That that punishment and destruction and banishment, that is our fate. That is your fate. That is the fate of every person who has ever lived because of our rebellion and sinfulness against God. Now, thankfully... Thankfully, the reason we have church, the reason we're here, is because there's an answer. God provides an answer. And the answer is in two places, really. And they both kind of mold together. There's one answer, but it's spelled out differently in two different ways, two, two, two sides of the same coin. The answer for all of this is found on the cross and in the gospel. On the cross, here's what's incredible. Ready? On the cross, Jesus is going to experience all three of these aspects of hell. He's going to experience them himself, for himself, so that we don't have to. On the cross, let's look at this. On the cross, Jesus died as a substitute for our sins, He experienced the punishment we deserve. Our sins, our iniquity was placed on him and the punishment, the wrath of God that was poured on him is what should have been poured on us, but he experienced our punishment instead of us. Instead of us going through that, he did it. He experienced punishment so that we don't have to. That, my friends, is good news. That's great news. On the cross, we see that, that Jesus sacrificed himself for our sins and he did so to his death the Bible calls destruction or death or the second death, that he experienced true death. His body was destroyed. He was destructed, so to speak, in a sense that, that his life was ended. He experienced this destruction and death so he could conquer death so that one day, one day we don't have to experience this second death, this destruction, this permanent experience of death. Death has lost its sting. That is good news. (laughs) On the cross, Jesus also experienced this. For the first and only time in the history of the world, he experienced separation from the father, a banishment from God himself. When, when, When the sin of the world is placed on him and God he, he seemingly turns his back and separates from his son so that the sin can be punished, so that God can't be corrupted by this sin. And we know this because Jesus in that moment says, Father, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he cries out. He cries out and in this, with this feeling that God, God has forsaken me. He has turned his back on me. He has, for the first time in forever, in the history of of our existence, I am now separated and experiencing this banishment from the Father. Though, Though temporary, he felt it and he experienced it. And he does so, so that you and I don't have to. That's good news. And and not only though—that's the negative side of this coin. Not only does Jesus on the cross satisfy all of the negative and the hard and the and the things of like the, the consequences of hell. On the other side, we get all of the benefits and the joys of being with God. So in the gospel, here's what happens: Not only are we like saved from the punishment and the consequences of sin and our and hell and and judgment, we then get saved to all of the good things. Instead of punishment. We experience heaven as inheritance and reward. We looked at this a few weeks ago that, that instead of the punishment, what we get now is reward. We get an inheritance that we're told that God is storing up and, and for his family, and we get to enjoy Jesus says, Come and enjoy this inheritance, this, this, this place that my father has prepared for you. Ooh. Instead of death and destruction, we get eternal. Life Instead of eternal destruction and eternal death, we get now forever life and life to the full. And, and instead of banishment, we get to be in the presence of God himself, of joy himself forever. That, that the experience of heaven will be so wonderful, so incredible, that to miss out on that is the is the worst experience you could ever have. We see this. John chapter 3. John, he writes this in verse 36. And he gives a summary statement of kind of what he's talking about in John chapter 3, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And he says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's it. You put your faith and you put your trust in Jesus, you're in. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. The answer to all of this is Jesus and it's what he did on the cross and it's what he did because of the gospel, his death, his life, death, burial, resurrection in which he conquered all of this. And now he sits at the right hand and says, I have all authority, all authority now to save whomever I want. And here it is, ready? I will save everyone who trusts in me. That's it. Not everyone who does all of this wonderful stuff and, and not, if you go to church X amount of times and if you do this many things, then maybe I'll forgive you. No, no, no. All of it is about trust. I put my trust in Jesus. I know him on a personal relationship. I'm not, I'm not interested in religion. I have, no, I have no desire to say, I don't even like saying I'm a religious person. People will ask, oh, you're a pastor? Oh, you, you're, so you're very religious. And I have to decide in that moment, how deep I want to go. (laughs) Because I am not religious. I'm a spiritual person who has connected with Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. If that's what you mean by religion, great. If by religion you mean I have to do X amount of things to to burn off X amount of judgment, I have no interest in any any of that foolishness. What I want is to know Jesus. I put my trust in him. To have a relationship so that when my book is open and it's gonna be a terrible experience and you did this and you did this and you did this. Do you remember that? I forgot about that one. Yes, that was in there. And I did this and I did this. And then he's gonna say, let me look at this other book. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna be nervous and trembling, but also so excited and hopeful and, 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 and anticipating seeing and hearing my name read from that book. And when he says, oh, look, it's right here. Let me, let me show you. Did we spell it correctly? You sure did. You sure. I'm in. That's all that matters. The answer to all of this is found on the cross and in the gospel. And it is a great answer. (laughs) Would you do this? Would you stand with me? We're going to worship the Lord together. And then I'm going to pray for us. So will you bow with me? So, Lord. Jesus, we, this is a, this, this is a heavy, a heavy thing to be thinking about. Yet we know Gehenna, hell, is a real place, a real place with real people. And so will you do, will you do two things in us, Lord? Will you first put in us an urgency to share the gospel with as many people as we can? Will you put in us a desire and, and a, the capacity to, to grow in our urgency to see people get saved, to see people come to know you? And then the second thing, Lord, I ask for all of us, and, and even if it's against our will, Lord, so be it. Will you this week put us in the lives of people who need to hear About you, And will you give us the opportunity to preach and share the gospel in any way possible? It may just be a simple invite to church. That may be as far as we get with someone. But this week, will you provide that opportunity for every one of us in this room? Whether we want it or not, will you make it clear? You put us in someone else's path to help influence and and invest and build in their life so that they too could possibly, hopefully, Lord, one day have their name written in the book of life Lord will you increase this desire in us and will you give us opportunity help us to see that, that our life is but a, a mist but a vapor but, but a, a mere moment in the history of eternity and so will we use it will we use the days that we have to reach those around us for eternity we worship you now we love you